As many of you know, uh, Pastor Mike is in New England this week. And actually today, they're celebrating their son, uh, Michael's graduation from college. And uh, I've been blessed to be a member of a, this, this church's Preacher's Fellowship. And that's a group of five or so men that uh, get together with Mike uh, and regularly and then preach occasionally. Once Mike knew he would be away today, uh, he asked if any of us had a standalone sermon that we would like to preach uh, so we would take a break from our First Samuel, going through the book of First Samuel, uh, this Sunday. And I volunteered because uh, I believe the Lord has laid on my heart uh, today's message to share with you. Uh, let's pray together, please. Lord, please take the words from my mouth this morning and use them to reach the hearts of those listening according to your perfect purposes, as only your Holy Spirit is so able and willing to do. Amen. You know, I was uh, getting ready for this message and looking over a little bit more this morning, and I brought up this first screen. This is not in my script, but then I'll hold to the script. I saw that, and I thought, ah, that is the sermon. I mean, Isaac's already preached the sermon, right? But I'll share with you some ideas from it anyway. My first uh, taste of formal Christian education began in the spring of 1982 I, as I attended Biola University in Southern California. At Biola, everyone was required to get a minor in Bible in addition to whatever they studied as their major. So as it happened, I began my theological training in a Sutherland Hall classroom as I sat in my first Bible class, Biblical Foundations. One of the assigned tasks of that course was to memorize scripture, uh, specific passages, and then recite them to the professor and sometimes to the rest of the class as the semester progressed. Today's text, Jeremiah 9, 23 to 24, was one of those passages. As I practiced and meditated on it 40 years ago, God planted a seed in my heart that has never ceased to grow. Sometimes rapidly, sometimes slowly, sometimes very slowly, but always growing. So this morning I want to share with you my life's most important journey, getting to know God, and specifically getting to know the God of the Bible. I want to look with you at what this brief passage says and what it does not say about that journey. And I want to encourage all of us, no matter where we may be on that journey, to press on, for there can be no higher calling. Last week, Mike preached on 1 Samuel 3 and unknowingly concluded with a perfect segue to this Sunday. In his final point on how faithful believers can thrive even in a spiritual wasteland, he said Samuel, and by extension us, could thrive because the word of the Lord saturated his life. He went on to read Psalm 1. In part, that song was sung, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, 
In all that he does, he prospers. I wrote in my notes last week, perfect segue, and added a smiley face. Oh, it's not up there. Oh, man. I'm, I'm, usually the screen is projected on the back wall and I can monitor what's going on. Okay. Slight setback. I'll be all right. If you're taking notes today, I will have just three points under which you might include the scripture references and any other ideas. Okay, let's begin with today's text. Thus says the Lord, not the, let, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. First, let's notice that there are three worthy, though less worthy, pursuits to which we can apply ourselves. And we all do. What are they? Wisdom, might, and riches. They are all appealing and important. Satan knew that when he approached Eve in the Garden of Eden. Consider the first temptation and subsequent sin that was ever committed by mankind. We call it the original sin. In Genesis 3, I have to just keep looking to make sure I'm in the right spot. I should have somebody up front, just thumbs up. All right, in Genesis 3, 1, we read, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. This crafty creature appealed to what Eve already desired within herself. In verse 6 of the same chapter we read, So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate. I've heard this temptation as being threefold, or a three-pronged fork, that Satan's appeal was to Eve's lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life. Perhaps you've heard it explained that way too. Being a careful reader of scripture, a high goal Mike is regularly inspiring us to be, let's look again. Since Eve noticed these three things about the tree and its fruit before she had sinned by disobeying God, she noticed these three things as a sinless creature. Let's connect the Genesis passage with today's text in Jeremiah. I believe there is a one-to-one equivalence or matchup. Good for food, delight to the eyes, desired to make one wise. Look back at today's text given by God through his prophet Jeremiah to his wayward nation of old. Wisdom. Well, the cookies are on the bottom shelf there with that one. I mean, it's the same word in both texts for crying out loud. What is wisdom? Well, in a very general sense, we would include 
in that notion any and all endeavors that strengthen our understanding and right application of information. Pastor Mike's son, Michael, is celebrating a significant milestone in that very pursuit today. We all ask each other, or research in and outside ourselves, or ask Siri, Alexa, and Google for information all the time. We'd be mental slugs if we did not wish to learn and to do more correctly. Next, might. Hmm. There it is. Eve saw that the fruit was good for food. What does that mean? Doesn't it mean it was beneficial? Healthy? Maybe even tasty? Sure it does. Can anyone relate to ever trying to meet the desire for food? Probably most of us have already broke last night's fast this morning. And if you didn't, you're wishing I would stop talking about it. I think it goes a little deeper than food. I think this area of desire includes staying healthy, fit, free from pain, disease, and avoiding death for as long as possible. You know the word for power and ability is the same in classical Greek. Think about it. If you're powerful or mighty enough to lift 100 pounds, you are able to lift 100 pounds. So might is ability, too. Last riches. Well, there's only one prong left in the fork. There it is waiting for us. Eve saw that it was a delight to the eyes. This one seems more like a stretch, but bear with me. The lust of the eyes deals with wanting what we can't have or do not at present have. Sure, it includes coveting, wanting what others have, but it also includes simply wanting what we do not yet have. Don't we all want that? What? That. What? That thing you don't yet have. A long time ago, I heard about an interview between a reporter and John D. Rockefeller. Perhaps you've heard the famous quote, too. Supposedly, the reporter asked the wealthiest, or the then wealthiest man in the world, how much money is enough? Because you got to be the one person most qualified to answer. Mr. Rockefeller responded, what, do you know? Just a little bit more. Why is that? Well, because we want what we don't have. That's really what is meant by riches. So let's agree for the sake of argument that we can all relate to the three, these three desires that Eve had. Is that bad? Does that mean we're sinful? Well, sure, we are all sinful. But those three pursuits, are they bad? Let's look back at what God said through Jeremiah. He said, let not three times. But he doesn't condemn them, does he? No, he points to something even more worthy. He points beyond what drives us all 
and I mean all. And he points to what drives him. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. When we hear the word boast, I think most of us move right away to an arrogant, prideful, and yes, sinful behavior. Of course, all pride isn't bad. And neither is all boasting. Consider this, if all boasting was bad, then we have a fundamental problem here. Because God directs his people to do it. Let him who boasts in this. The Apostle Paul in Romans 15, beginning in verse 17, says, In Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God. For I will not venture to speak, we could substitute boast, of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me. Looking back at our text, I don't know about you, but I'm going to sit up a little straighter and listen a little more closely when God tells me he delights in something. Or something pleases him. Because he doesn't do that too often. It makes me think about when he tells us the event that leads us to a celebration, a full-on party in heaven. It isn't over a lot of believers doing the right thing. That's good, and as believers, we all need to do the right thing uh, even more. Right? But that doesn't bring the roof down in heaven, does it? No, it doesn't. But I'll tell you what does. Okay, wait. Let's stop right here. If you don't know what I'm referring to, and I'd imagine that a great many of you are tracking with me this morning and do, but if you don't know what I'm about to say next, Shouldn't you be sitting up a little straighter, listening a little closer? I mean, if heaven throws a party over something, shouldn't you want to know what it's about? In Luke 15, verses 1 through 7, Jesus tells us, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Here it comes. Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Next, Jesus gives the parable of a woman searching for a lost coin and how she celebrates when she finds it. Then, the very next parable is the prodigal son, where Jesus tells of God's prodigious love, love that is remarkably or impressively great in size. In that parable, God is represented as the son's father who is waiting, watching down the road for the son to return. And does what? 
He throws a party when his son does. Knowing that sinners coming to repentance brings heaven's roof down and celebration is important. It should influence our prioritizing of sharing Christ with the lost world. Back to today's text. God says, for in these things I delight. What things? These things. What are these things? That he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast, prodigious, love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. There it is. God delights in our boasting that we understand and know him. Let that sink in. God delights in our boasting that we understand and know him. Notice God describes himself from three separate aspects. Love, justice, and righteousness. He wants us to know not just one aspect, but all aspects of him. It is easy to pick and choose the things about God on which we want to emphasize or focus. But be careful, that may not be complete. No doubt you've heard people say, well, I don't believe that God would, or I don't believe that God is, and they downplay or reject an aspect of God that he has clearly taught us about himself in his word. It's almost as if they are in a cafeteria, pushing their tray along a variety of options for God, and they take only the items they want to personally believe in to be true about God. Then, when they get to the cashier, they have their God. Not God. Their God. We, you and I, are living in an amazing, unprecedented time. That word has been overused with the COVID pandemic. What makes this time really unprecedented is that God's word is currently available in hundreds, yes, hundreds of languages, and it's available to us. Of course, it hasn't always been this way. It wasn't that way when Jeremiah delivered God's word to his people. Among Jeremiah's intended original audience, no one would have had a personal copy of God's word to read whenever they chose. This unprecedented blessing comes with a sobering reality. Again, in Luke, this time in chapter 12, verse 48. Everyone to whom much was given, of him much will be required. Those are Jesus' words. Uh Uh-oh. God's word is available. His living, active word that allows us to understand and know him more fully is readily available to all of us. I dare say if you're sitting here this morning or listening to this sermon later, it's more than likely that you have one, if not many volumes, of God's word in your home. I'm a collector. My recent riches pursuit is narrowly focused to the first 10 years 
of vintage Mattel Hot Wheels die-cast cars. If you know me, you know that. I snuck that in. I also snuck it in as question number five on your sheet. But I have a more precious collection on my shelf in our living room. It's a Bible collection. I have over a dozen volumes that were owned by beloved family members that have since passed away. I treasure that collection far above toy cars. But you know, it makes me sad too. Sad in a way that none of my shiny Hot Wheels ever will. As I pick up and lovingly read the inscriptions inside these Bibles, I'm connected, transported, back with them. But then, as I look at the pages and see some, many, that are barely marred, rarely used, I'm deeply struck. Let him who boasts, boast in this, that he understands and knows me. I'm not saying my ancestors did not understand and know God. No. What I am saying is that how sad, how tragic, how ultimately sad and tragic that they didn't read their Bible more, a lot more. It was right there. It was available. Our adversary, the devil, Satan, the crafty serpent in the garden, knows the Bible backwards and forwards. He quoted it when he tempted Christ. He knows. Satan knows what pleases God. And he hates God. He's God's sworn enemy. See, it's not about us. What does he want you not to do? It's not about you. He wants you to not give God cause for delight. He wants you to not read your Bible. I think that might be why so many mean to read it more, but somehow are often diverted. I was thinking the other day, Jesus talks more about Satan than does any other author, person, of the Bible. Why do you suppose that is? I think as the creator, the one who made Satan, he understands him more and wants us to be on our guard more than any other author or person in the Bible. Let me spend a moment boasting. Just a moment. Please indulge me. It is my hope that my boasting will be an encouragement, or I wouldn't do it now. When I was a student at Biola, I fulfilled a promise that I had made to our Lord. In high school, and as a new believer, I found a schedule, a reading schedule, in my Bible. Perhaps you've seen them. It has an Old Testament and a New Testament reading for each day, such that... Um, When you follow throughout the year, the careful reader will have read the Bible in one year. You've seen those? They're available online if you haven't. 
As a high schooler, I promised that, to God that I would do that, that I would read the Bible in one year. I even signed the page in my Bible that held the schedule. Very official. It took me many years to complete that promise. Oops. Well, at least I did it, right? When I finally finished that promise, I was in my senior year at Biola. Bless you. January 1st rolled around, and I decided I'd give it another try. That was 1986. It was a rich, wonderful year. In 1987, I did it again. My mother, now past, once told me to really own a passage, you have to read it five times. To memorize it, you have to read it seven times. So following that notion, I read it again, all the way through in 1988, 89, 90, and 1991. Well, bless her heart, my mother wasn't always right. <laughs> After seven complete readings, I hadn't memorized it all the way through. Far from it. But something did happen. I began to understand and know him more. I began to know where to find things in his word and know how he felt about me and life's topics of concern. You guys, I hope you understand my heart right now. I'm, I'm humbly venture to speak to you about what Christ has accomplished through me. That same schedule has me currently reading Ezra from the Old Testament and John from the New. I read it this morning. I read it most every day. By God's grace and for His delight, I am on my 38th reading of His Word. This is, without a doubt, my life's greatest accomplishment. You may have recognized the 1977 praise song Jake played for us before the sermon during our giving of grace time. Or you're saying there, there, was, there was a song being played? The first line in that Pendergrass song, it's the greatest thing in all my life is knowing you. Don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying you have to always read your Bible because today's text in Jeremiah doesn't say you have to read your Bible every day or completely every year. But I am saying that God is saying, in these things I delight. He delights in practicing steadfast love. He delights in practicing justice. And he delights in practicing righteousness in the earth. And he delights in you understanding and knowing him more. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you are both knowable and that you've allowed us to be on that journey of knowing you more. We are glad for our lives. We enjoy wisdom and learning more things. We enjoy being healthy and capable. We enjoy attaining things that we want. We are so very glad that you have told us what you enjoy. 
Please help us to understand and know you more fully. Amen.